In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For heaven's sake, just how messed up can one group of people get? This is the likely initial reaction of A. President Meyer as he reads the minutes from the last faculty meeting. B. Dean Hartung as he reads the MIPS results generated by the first year class. C. Dr. Utek as he reads and grades the final exams turned in by his fall quarter pastoral ministry class. D. St. Paul, as he hears from some from Chloe's household, what's going on in the church at Corinth, or E, all of the above. The correct answer, of course, is D, St. Paul, as he hears from some from Chloe's household, what's going on at the church in Corinth. But because you didn't have much chance to study in advance, I'll give partial credit to those of you who answered E. For heaven's sake, just how messed up can one group of people get? Something like this must have gone through St. Paul's mind as he heard what was going on in the church at Corinth, because it was way more blessed than all of his other churches, and still it was having trouble. True, it was surrounded by sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, prostitution, homosexuality, greed, and drunkenness. But the church at Corinth really did have a lot going for it. You see this in the first lines of Paul's first letter to them. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Yes, the Corinthians had been enriched in many ways, especially in their speaking and in their knowledge. But now these very strengths were turning into weaknesses. And Paul knew that he had to do something about it before the church ripped itself apart. Indeed, many of these Corinthians, it seems, were claiming a superior wisdom, and they prided themselves in one of the most highly valued skills of that day, the ability to speak impressively. This led, unfortunately, to a number of problems. It led to jealousy and quarreling over whom they were going to listen to and follow, Paul or Apollos. It led them to view Paul's preaching of the cross as utter foolishness. Some became arrogant and attempted to undercut Paul's authority as an apostle. Their gifts of knowledge and speaking were misused in the secular courts as they took each other to court filing lawsuits against each other. Some became prideful of their Christian liberty, which in turn became license for tolerating and maybe even defending sexual immorality in their midst. 
Others burdened the consciences of weaker Christians by eating food sacrificed to idols. Everything is permissible to me, they argued. Everything is permissible to me. Their great gifts of speaking and knowledge ultimately led them to even doubt and debate the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, their greatest strengths had become their greatest weaknesses. They were using their gifts in ways that were ripping the church apart. Their speaking and their knowledge resulted in elevated levels of ego, jealousy, and quarreling, which in turn led to division, disunity, disharmony, and dissing each other right and left. Now, I've been to enough church revitalization consultations now to watch and listen to how church leaders complain about what they don't have. The reason their congregation is going down, they say, is because we don't have enough money, or we don't have enough children, or we don't have enough young people, or we don't have enough volunteers. And all this may be true. Sometimes the gifts that a church doesn't have can kill it. It's been my experience, however, that the opposite is also oftentimes true. It's the gifts that a church, or maybe even an institution of the church, does have that have the greatest potential for doing harm. When we have the gifts of speaking and knowledge, and they are constantly connected to the will of Christ, then unity and love are the result. But the great gifts of speaking and knowledge can also lead to an overinflated self, uh, sense of self-importance, to arrogance, to haughtiness, to jealousy and quarreling, so that they are used like clubs to beat others into submission. And division, disunity, disharmony, and dissing each other right and left are the result. Here at the seminary, we are gifted with, we deal with, and we try to cultivate all speaking and all knowledge, like nobody else does. We're determined to have these gifts and to use them to the fullest. Like everyone else, we have a need to have our gifts acknowledged, admired, applauded, and applied. We'd like to be respected and recognized for our service. And in and of itself, none of this is a bad thing. But maybe, just maybe, we need to hear from St. Paul again. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge 
and I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. In the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians, Paul calls on or uses the name of Christ nine times. I think he was trying to tell them and us something important. It is the love of God in Christ that has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is the love of God in Christ that makes us sons and daughters of the King and therefore brothers and sisters in his family, the church. It is because of the love of God in Christ that we are gifted in all kinds of ways to serve him, to serve each other, and to serve the world. And it is because the love of God in Christ that we will make it to that great day when we really do see Jesus face to face. As Paul says, God, who has called us into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. When I was a kid, playing outside in the waning daylight of the summer evening, inevitably our back door would open and my dad's voice would call out, Bill, it's time to come in. Often I would go on with what I was doing as though nothing had happened. To anybody passing by, I looked no different than the other guys I was hanging out with. But I was different. I had been called in. Everything was changed. Now, in a similar way, we who may appear no different from others have ringing in our ears God's call for us to be the body of Christ. The poet has said that some people march to a different drummer. We do not hear a different drumbeat. We hear Jesus' distant but clear voice saying, Come, follow me. It sounds over the buzz of library lights, the hum of computer monitors, the cry of babies, the clink of coins, the curse of enemies, the whisper of success, the roar of the crowd, and even over the nagging of conscience. Come, follow me, Jesus says. I have called you, and I have gifted you to follow me. So the gifts he gives are the gifts we use, but we use them in love, in love for him, for each other, and for the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.